Well, if I wasn't saved, I would have gotten saved again following that worship set. Just a beautiful, beautiful time. Psalm 119, as we make our journey through the Scriptures on Sunday night, Genesis to Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and just wave and get their attention. and They'll give you a Bible tonight. And that way you can follow along. Sunday night, we do try to carry, cover a little more territory than on the Sunday morning, and, and uh, so a Bible is very, very helpful. While we're continuing to turn there, I uh, just want to remind you once again of these cards that we're, we made up for inviting friends and family members to come to Easter also and otherwise, uh, and affectionately known as Resurrection Sunday. But that's not how the world understands it, so we use the word Easter on the flyer. But to invite people to come out uh, for the Easter services on Sunday. And uh, again, as we mentioned this morning, sometimes on Easter and Christmas, people are a little more open and uh, will look for the gospel to impact their lives today. Uh, that day, if they come, a map on the back for easy directions on how to get here. And then please, let's be in prayer for that. Resurrection Sunday morning coming up, not only related to our church, but all of the different churches in town that will be teaching God's Word and pointing people to the Lord that a continued harvest will take place in our community and beyond. There's plenty of these available to you um, out at the information table in the fellowship hall. Uh, grab a stack of them and uh, get the Word out, and let's see what the Lord uh, does. All right, well, we come tonight to Psalm 119, and the great theme of the Psalm 119 is the Word of God. And I'm not going to hurry through this. You say, well, I don't notice that you really hurry through much. You're right. (laughs) So, physician, heal thyself. But I cannot, um, I cannot, and I cannot explain, but I don't need to explain, because you understand the impact that the Word of God has had upon my life. And so this great psalm, 176 verses, there are some things that you can encapsulate in two or three verses or a dozen verses. When you're going to talk about the Word of God, it takes a psalm of 176 verses to speak of its beauty and its diversity, what it accomplishes in a human life. And as we go through this psalm and talk about some of those things, you're going to recognize that all of those things have happened in your life as a Christian through the Word of God. I remember earlier in my life, and I had a background growing up where I was exposed to the things of the Lord, and then a little bit later I thought I was smarter than God and was going to go do my own thing. And so I was playing junior college basketball, and We'd go on these road trips, and all of us were just broke as broke could be. I mean, that's just how it was. They'd give us this meal money, you know, um, when we go on these road trips. For some of us, that was the most money we'd ever seen in our life, you know, like $22, you know, and to have to eat on that through the weekend with two games and the whole thing. And we'd go into these hotels, and they'd have the Bibles in the, the Gideon Bibles. And I didn't know you were free to take them. The Gideon, hey, if you need a Bible and you, there's a Gideon Bible, give it to your friend. If they're there, they're put in there so that people will take them and uh, be exposed to the Word of God. But I would open those, the Bible up and I would look at it, and it was just about as dead as a book could ever be to me. I mean, I, I would try and I, I would uh, read it. And again, I wasn't walking close with the Lord or any of those kind of things. And, it, and, 
And then something happens, though, when you settle the issue of Jesus' lordship in your life. And certainly when a person is born again, that the Word of God just explodes to life. And I remember one of the reasons that I'm a pastor today is that when I finally settled the issue of his lordship in my life, in my 20s, um, the Word of God so exploded to life and it it so transformed my life overnight. It was probably the single greatest thing, of course, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to change my life. And I wanted everybody to know these same truths. And so the desire to then teach the Word of God. So this beautiful psalm, so precious to everyone who loves the Lord and loves His Word and and has a history, and not only in the Word, but what it does in our lives. It's interesting that in this psalm, of course, it's a great celebration of God's Word. The psalmist rejoices in the Word of God. And virtually every single verse of the 176 verses has a mention of the Word of God in it. Only three verses in the entire psalm do not mention the Word of God. Verses 84, 122, and 132. It is the longest of the psalms, and in fact it's the longest chapter to be found in the whole Bible. Its style in terms of the original language of the Hebrew and the Old Testament, the original language is Hebrew. The original, the style in the original language is very, very unique. It is what is known as an acrostic. And there are several psalms that are acrostic psalms in the psalms. And in Psalm 119, each of the the psalm is made up of 22 sections of eight verses. And there are 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet. And so the first verse in each of the 22 sections begins with uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the second letter of the he- section, the second letter, and the, so forth. And not only that, But within each of those sections, every line in, say, the first section, not only is the first line begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but every line in that section begins with that letter of, of the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like if we were to write something, and how many letters do we have in our alphabet? 24, isn't it? 26. Yeah, 24, 26. I've asked this before in public. This, still, if I'm on double jeopardy, I will miss that question. I will absolutely die. Alex, $24,000 on that question. How many letters in the alphabet? Oh, what an easy question. Anybody could get that. 24. <laughs> so 26, it would be like you had 26 sections and the first section began with the letter A and every line with A. You say, well, that might not be too hard. Then you go to B and you go to C. Then you get to X. Then you get to Z. You get to some of these other letters. So it's really a marvel, a marvel of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this uh, Psalm 119 is... Uh, because it's written in that in that form, it really does 
give us kind of the ABCs regarding uh, the Word of God, what it does, what it produces in a human life. Now, the purpose behind acrostics, when something would be written as an acrostic, it was never, certainly not in the Word of God, not written that way in order to kind of show off and say, look what I can write, because the Holy Spirit is the author uh, of the Bible. An acrostic, and there, again, there are many acrostic psalms in the Bible, but psalms were written as an acrostic, as an aid for memorization. Is there, uh-oh, memorization, 176 verses? Yes, for memorization, for ease of memorization. And, and of course, when something is 176 verses long, anything that can help us <laughs> memorize it is uh, appreciated. Jewish children were required to memorize Psalm 119. For what reason? In order to plant in their heart at the earliest age an appreciation for the Word of God. And I said it's impossible to overstate how much Psalm 119 has meant to lovers of the Word of God through all of the ages. Now, before we get into the psalm itself, the psalm is met is more than an expression of the psalmist's love for the Word of God, though it is that. But in the psalm, he reveals why the Word of God is so important to him and why he loves it so much. It isn't just an expression of his love for the Word of God, but why he loves it. And when he gets into the whys, you're going to recognize those same whys in your own life, and we're going to join together with him and his spirit in the, in the same uh, appreciation. And so, yes, the psalmist wants us to know that he loves the Word of God, but he also wants us to know why he loves the Word of God. Now, we won't study every single verse in the psalm because uh, it would take so much time to do that on a Sunday evening, and uh, this is intended to be an overview. But I don't even think that that's necessarily the most effective way to uh, study the psalm. And so what I'm going to do is the same thing that I did years ago when we studied this psalm, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. Wow, how does time fly, you know, on a Sunday morning? I'm going to take one great truth about the Word of God that the psalmist brings out in uh, each of those 22 sections so that by the time we get to the end of the psalm, we'll have something as just to kind of prime the pump of appreciation related to the Word of God. These are the things that the Word of God and the Word of God uniquely and alone produces in the life of a child of God. And I think it's a very good way to handle it for uh, growing in our appreciation of the Word of God. And so we begin now, and the psalmist says, blessed. What a perfect word to begin <laughs> a psalm about the Word of God. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. You have commanded us to keep Your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all Your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. 
Oh, do not forsake me utterly. And so the psalm that teaches us, number one, related to the Word of God, that it produces a blessed life. And it does produce. The Word of God produces a blessed life. Wow. What a blessed life it produces. Talk to a lot of people. I've been had the privilege of being a pastor for almost 30 years. Wow. Somebody get me a cane. One of the blessings of the calling is to get to know so many people. One of the curses is that you can't get to know everyone as well as you want. But I've talked with so many people, so many of us, we come to know the Lord and we come to know the Lord after having lived a life that we're ashamed of or some chapter or season in our life we're ashamed of. And then we come to know the Lord and we begin to obey His Word. And as we obey His Word, it never, ever produces a life that anyone's ever going to be ashamed of. Now, that's saying a lot about something. What writing in the world... Of all the things that have been written all the way through human history, can you take every single kind of person in all of our diversity, men, women, every race, every socioeconomic background, every level of education, and direct them to the Word of God, and then to know without exception it will produce a blessed life and will not result in a life that anyone will ever regret. I've had the privilege of being able to talk to many people late in their life as Christians where they realize, I've, I've run my race. It looks like the Lord's going to take me home. And you begin to talk to them about the Word of God and the life that they've been able to live in obedience to the Word of God. And I've never talked to a single saint that ever expressed the slightest regret over the life that the Word of God led them into and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's saying something about the Word of God. And so it leads to a blessed life. But the, the blessed life, and, and, and it's blessed, not just, it results in a blessing in our lives, not just in the reading of it or the knowing of it is kind of a collection of suggestions, but in recognizing the Word of God to be exactly what it is, and that is the Word of God. In verse 1, the Word of God is spoken of as the law of the Lord. In verse 2, God's testimonies. Verse 3, His ways. Verse 4, His precepts. Verse 5, His statutes. Verse 6, His commandments. Verse 7, His righteous judgment. Again in verse 8, Your statutes. You have so many people today who think that they can improve upon the Word of God. And some people are so smart that they actually think that they can. I forget which one of the great saints of old, I think it was Oswald Chambers who spoke about an unguarded strength being a weakness. Sometimes God gives a great mind to a man or a woman 
And then they misuse that mind and they begin to think that they can improve upon the Word of God. And so then pretty soon they're looking at the Word of God as this collection of suggestions that God has made. Remember Ted Turner a number of years ago? He considered the Ten Commandments not to be uh, Ten Commandments but to kind of be Ten Good Suggestions uh, from God. But they aren't suggestions And no one will experience the blessing that God wants us to experience in our life if we merely view His Word as suggestions rather than for what they really are, and that is commandments. And it's not just people out there that are thinking, you know, too big for their britches. But any time any of us would take any commandment from the Word of God and say, I'm going to put that in the suggestion category or in the optional category of obeying or disobeying, then I have robbed myself of an aspect of blessing that God wants to bring into my life through His Word. Everything that is written in the book is intended to bring blessing into our life. And then the second section... Here in verse 9, we'll look specifically at verse 9, but we'll read all of it. Uh, The psalmist says, How can a young man cleanse his way? Somebody's thinking, Oh, please tell me. Well, he does. By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now notice in verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? It's interesting to notice what the psalmist doesn't say. He doesn't say, how can a young child cleanse his way? He doesn't say, how can an old man cleanse his way? How can a young woman cleanse uh, her way? He doesn't say that. But how can a young man cleanse his way? Why would he choose a young man for this (laughs) kind of place in the psalm? Because as it relates to cleansing... And holy living, the hardest case in the world is a young man. It's a young man. You, if you can cleanse a hard-headed, strong-willed, passionate, severely tempted young man, you can cleanse and clean up anyone. If it said, how shall a grandma cleanse her way, all of our hearts would sink, ugh. What can be so hard about cleaning up grandma? But a young man, that's a different story. And what the psalmist is telling us is that the Word of God is the key to a pure life. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Here's a a favorite too, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then speaking of the relationship between Christ and the church, verse 26 says that he, that is Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it, that is the church, with the washing of the word. The word of God, he washes us by his word. He cleanses us by his word. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, in John 17, verse 17, he's praying to the Father and he said to the Father, sanctify them, speaking of us as Christians, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Speaking of the cleansing power of the word of God. Now, not everybody, but pretty frequently through the years, at least in my experience with counseling, many people struggle with sin and with a life of failure because they never give the Word of God a cleansing place in their life. There are some who do and they still struggle, but that's not where we're looking at in this psalm. A lot of people struggle with sin. Their life is, they are just Their spirit is filthy with sin because they never give the Word of God a cleansing place in in their life. And so often as I would counsel a person, their whole life is falling apart. It's falling apart because of sin, because of filth that is attached to their life. The consequences are are going out in all kinds of, of different directions And I'll ask them after I listen to them, would you tell me a little bit about your devotional life? Would you tell me a little bit about the place of the Word of God in your daily life or in your weekly life? I think sometimes somebody would want to punch me for asking that question. I didn't come in here to have you talk with me about that. I got problems. I got fires you need to put out right now. I say, yeah, let's let's start, though, with the foundation And it's amazing how few people give the Word of God that kind of a place in their lives, even Christians. And that's where I would begin the counseling. And sometimes people think, well, pastors just kind of begin there automatically because that's just what pastors do. There must be like some crazy course where they ask you about your devotional life no matter what you uh, talk with them about. But it isn't. There's a reason for the question, and the psalmist knew it. The Word of God cleanses our lives. God makes sure of it. And then it takes the Word of God to keep our lives clean. And when I sit down, and I know you experience the same thing on a daily basis in your devotional time and the reading of the Word of God, I can literally feel the Word of God in the hands of Jesus Washing. I'm a part of the bride, the body of Christ, washing out of me uh, what doesn't belong there, cleansing me from the inside. And, and it, it's important to notice, though, that it's more than just simply reading the Word of God. He tells us in verse 9, we're to heed it. And then in verse 11, we're to hide it in our hearts. And then in verse 15, that we're to meditate upon it. Do you realize that as a Christian, the Word of God is intended to be the single greatest influence in every one of our lives? More than any author, 
more than any musician, more than any TV show, more than any hobby, more than any interest. That's the norm. And because we've fallen in general so far below that norm that now when you talk about something like this, it sounds like you're being extreme. The Word of God is intended to be the single greatest influence in the life of a Christian. And God knows that it needs to be that way, especially as the world is growing darker and darker and more and more filthy and more and more needs to be washed out of our lives by virtue of our exposure to it. Every single day there's so much that just attaches itself to us, just like dirt in the fallen world. It's not a physical dirt, but it's a moral dirt and a spiritual dirt. Just the filthy language that we hear, and you can't escape it anymore. It's just a terrible, defiling thing. The anger, the wrath that, that people operate under and are so quick to express all of the images and all of the temptations that are in front of us every single day, and it needs to be washed out of our lives every single day. We bathe every day, physically, or else what happens? We're going to stinketh. <laughs> We're going to smell. And we need to do the same thing spiritually. Otherwise, we're going to smell spiritually and morally and mentally and emotionally. Sometimes you can have it. We, sometimes we think we're getting away with something. You know, we're moved away from the Word of God. It's washing place in our life, and we're thinking we're getting away with it. And then we come into a situation, we do something, or we say something that would be entirely different, would never come out of our mouth. We would never do it if we had begun the day with the Word of God, and we leave, and then some, somebody looks over at somebody else and says, somebody needs a bath <laughs> spiritually. Somebody hasn't washed up. They stinketh spiritually. Now, in the light of verse 9, the fact that the Word of God is the single great cleansing influence in the world in the hands of the Holy Spirit, and it is the only hope for a young man or for a young person, think about how tragic it is that our nation has done everything that it can to remove exposure to the Word of God from a younger generation not just out of the schools, which happened decades ago, but the fight that goes on to make sure that young people are not exposed to the things of God and to the Bible. And, and then there, as they're taught literally anything and everything else in school except for how to live a clean life because that morality and that power comes from the Word of God. And they're doing it at a time in young people's lives where they need to hear it the most. I graduated from high school back in 1973. Back in 1973, I thought things were getting out of hand. I don't even know what's going on at the moment with what young people are... Computers, cell phones, what? I mean, come on. It was like they had futuristic television shows that spoke about that. Nobody actually owned one of those things, let alone could get into trouble with uh, those things. And so what young people face today 
and, and coming against them. And, I, and what's so tragic about moving the Word of God away from young people is that so many young people will become addicted to and in bondage and victims of their sin before they ever even get out of high school. I mean, their course in life will be set in the wrong direction. And only a miracle of God will get them off of that path. But God loves to do that miracle. That's why there's hope for everyone. And I think it's important, and I love to say it to young people, that you do not have a friend in anyone like the friend that you have in Jesus. He's the one that tells you the truth, tells you straight, has a life of freedom that he intends for you. And he's the one that's being square with you. Everyone else that is violating his truth is lying to you. And I grew up in a country where there was still an attempt to protect youth and individuals from what was vile and what was undefiling. Now, because it's such a market, the love of money, commercial Babylon, nobody protects that generation almost anymore. And so increasingly, even parents don't. And so it becomes incumbent upon a young person to protect yourself and keep yourself clean through the Word of God. The Word of God is a key to that. There's hope for a clean life, and it's found in the Word of God. And I'll tell you, I've experienced it. So these are just like little hard candies that I'm putting in my mouth, and I'm just savoring them one at a time. They're part of my life. They're part of my life experience. As God has used the Word of God to cleanse my life and to clean me up. And I know it's your experience as well. Verse 17, the third section, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. And then here for our purposes tonight... Verses 22 through 24, remove from me reproach and contempt. For I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And the Word of God provides us with a friendly voice during times of human rejection, and specifically when we are rejected by other people for our love for the Lord and for our love for His Word and obedience to His Word. And so the psalmist is experiencing a very, very broad, widespread rejection by men and women because of his love for the Lord. And, of course, that can happen to us any time in our Christian life where we are forced because of circumstances or whatever, we're forced to make a stand for God and say, God's Word says this, and this is what I'm going to do in this situation. This is the truth about this situation. We make that stand, and there's going to sometimes be rejection as a result of that. 
That's just the way that it goes. That's something that will never cease to be a part of our life as Christians. But this kind of rejection for our faith in the Lord, probably the most intensive period of that for us as Christians is when we first become Christians. And here, now we're making uh, new stands, new decisions, new way of living based upon the Word of God that is just literally transforming our lives right before everybody's eyes. And here you start to live for God. And as we start to live for God, what happens? We stop doing so much of what we were doing. All of a sudden, we're not drinking anymore. We're not swearing anymore. We're not carousing anymore. We're not lying or stealing anymore. And not only do we stop doing things that we used to do, but then on top of that, that's shock enough for people. Talk about shock and awe. The miracle of God when he changes a life. But not only do we stop doing certain things, but then we start doing things we've never done before in our life. We start reading the Bible. We start sharing the gospel with people. We start attending church two, three, four times a week. They're in a cult. They've gone crazy. We need to go down there and rescue them. Let's go down there and find out what's going on in that place inside there. And then they get saved. Well, it's funny, the Lord so changed Karen's life, my life, through His Word when we were new Christians. And I mean, God just dramatically changed us. Things we were doing, no longer doing. Oh, Karen was a terrible sinner. If I could just tell you what she gave up, so dramatic. For me, it was a marginal difference. She knows I'm kidding, and you need to know that I'm kidding. (laughs) But then we start, all of a sudden, the Word of God and the things of the Lord, and we're at church, and the blessing of all of these things. And Karen's mom was the first one to start to go to Calvary Chapel of Napa to see what in the world we'd gotten ourselves into. Then God, in His grace, she ends up getting saved, coming to know the Lord and His walk with the Lord for these 30-some years herself now. And so the big dramatic change that occurs in our life, and then it ought to produce kind of a joy in everybody's life. I mean, here we are, a miracle. We're just a scoundrel beforehand. I mean, you know, people liked us only because our lives were so impure that it didn't bring any conviction into their lives about the life that they were living. Now everything changes related to that, should have been a celebration. Wow, Kyle, finally, some got cleaned up in the whole thing, but it doesn't work that way. And, and then it results in a kind of a distancing and a rejection on the part of some. And, you know, that can be a very hard thing in, in our Christian life, especially early in our Christian life. And you notice the psalmist's response there in verse 18 to all of that rejection. He turned to the Word of God to be reminded of the wonderful works of God. So for every friend the psalmist was losing because of his relationship with God, he turned to the Word of God to get to know God even better, and God became such a good friend to him that it was a salve in his life related to all of the friends that he was losing because of his love for the Lord. 
And so he would look at the miracles of the history of the children of Israel and God bringing them out of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea and the coming into the Promised Land and all of these different things and these marvelous things that he saw in God's Word made the reproach of man and the contempt of man bearable. And it's true. I I remember God using the Word of God to do that very same work in my life as a brand-new Christian. There were people that uh, came to know the Lord, and there were some people that, well, they were, I wouldn't say anybody was excited about it. But at work and in other environments, people were, in general, very polite, but there were quite a number of people that didn't want anything to do with me. I hadn't even done anything to them. I hadn't gotten them in a headlock and witnessed to them and given the old three stooges, twist their nose and the Swedish knuckle burn on their head. I hadn't done any of that. They just heard, Kyle got religion. Oh, no, okay. I give him two weeks. He'll be back. That's what always happens. And so they just kind of drifted away. So they're going to head over here and get, you know, a new set of Klein tools or something to head out in the day or get this. I'm coming in this direction. They go all the way around the building to get it another way. Is it what can make up the difference? Turning to the Word of God, reading about David and Jeremiah and Daniel and Paul and Peter and, yes, Thomas and all of these other men and women of the Bible who became new friends to me to replace my old friends and who became and have become more precious friends to me than most relationships in my life, certainly most relationships outside of the kingdom of God. And so the Word of God introduces us into a whole new group of friends as we lose friends for making a stand for the things of the Lord and beginning to walk with the Lord. And there's something that happens when we're rejected by people for being faithful to the Word of God. There's something that happens in that when we turn to the Word of God and as we do that in that kind of a state, now we understand Daniel like we never did before. Now we understand Paul like we never did before. They become deeper friends to us for that rejection. And God makes sure that it happens, but He does it through His Word. And then we notice in verse 25, the psalmist said, My soul clings to the dust. That can't be good. Revive me according to Your Word. I have declared my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Then notice in verse 28, My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. So he talks in verse 25 about the word reviving him. Verse 28, the word strengthening him. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. 
Oh, Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments. Isn't that beautiful? I'll run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. And we notice and what I want to pull out of this section is that the Word of God, it revives us and it strengthens us. The Word of God is the source of spiritual strength. In the old King James uh, when it talks about there in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. It says, quicken me according to your word. And the New King James, it says revive. And, and that's a good word as well. It means to cause to live or cause me to live or revive me. In verse 25, the psalmist declares, my soul clings to the dust. In other words, he's explaining his posture before God. He is on his face in the dirt before the Lord. And what he's communicating is that life in this fallen world, as was put in the song that we sang tonight, this broken world that we live in, Life here had brought him to his knees, it had leveled him, it had worn him out, it had drained him of life and of vitality, it had completely overwhelmed him, and it's as if he's saying, life in this world is killing my soul, it's trying to extinguish, Lord, my testimony for you. And not only that, but he tells us in verse 28 that the... Life that he's facing in the world has reduced him to tears when he declares, my soul melts from heaviness. The heaviness of life in this fallen world has become so great, so heavy to him, such a burden to him, such a cause of great sorrow that it's reduced him to tears. When it talks about melts there, the word means to drip or to leak, and it's communicating the idea of weeping. You ever seen a grown man weep? My opinion is one of the most powerful things you'll ever see in life. When you see a grown man weep, Where a man and men were made a certain way by God. But when a man comes to a place in life and he has thrown everything of his heart, his mind, his soul, and his strength at the fallenness of this world, and as he has thrown everything that he has against the onslaught of this world, the challenges of this world. He comes to the end of it. He's given it everything he has, and then he kind of collapses in a heap after he's given it everything he has, and then just falls down, finally faced with, with that fact, the reality of his frailty. This situation is way bigger than anything I have, and he begins to weep. And God understands tears for what they are and what the psalmist declares them to be here. Tears are, they, they are the prayer of the soul. They are a communication of the soul. And when a man weeps, 
it is because what he is thinking and what he is feeling he cannot put into words. The only thing that can express the brokenness and the crushing that he's feeling is the tears that most men will kind of regretfully allow to fall from their face. And I've watched a few men cry through the years, and I always consider myself to be on extremely holy ground when I watch that happen. And I realize that the Lord sees those tears for the prayers that they are. And He knows how to interpret those tears. He knows what's being communicated through those tears. David understood all of this. He wrote in Psalm 56, he said, You number my wanderings, and the idea is my tear-filled wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And so here is a man who's completely overwhelmed by life. He lacks the strength to fight against it anymore, doesn't even have the strength to pretend that he can stand against it. He doesn't even have the strength to pretend that he has a hope in and of himself in the face of this whole series of circumstances that have come into my life. And the psalmist is writing as if the person is saying, this situation is going to be the death of me. I don't know how many of you have felt and and experienced the desperation of being in that place. Not when it's in a psalm and it's somebody else's experience, but when it happens in our own life and we find ourselves exactly in that place. I'm done. I'm through. I'm crushed. I don't have anything else to throw against this wall of stuff that is coming against me. And it's a very, very frightening place to find a person, person to find themselves in in life. I found myself there a time or two. And one of the fears that fills your heart is that you won't survive the season. You think, I'll never be the same on the other side of this. I'll never know life as I knew it, as, as I once did. All that that life holds for me now is going to be tears and it's going to be death. And where in the world can a person turn to at a time like that in life? The short stories of O. Henry. No. The Word of God. The Bible. And when our physical bodies, they, when they are exhausted in order to revive them, in order to, uh, to strengthen them. We know to give them nourishment. We know to give it rest. But how do you revive and strengthen a soul? How do you revive and strengthen someone spiritually when something even more important than the physical body is going to die under the weight of a series of circumstances? And the Word of God is the one thing that can do that because it will revive us spiritually every single time that we turn to it. And do you know why it's able to revive? Because it is alive. 
Something must be alive in order to give life. The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of the Word of God as being alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Word of God is that. I remember as a relatively new Christian, there were these um, two Christian counselors that were on the radio in those days. And I don't know if people are still doing this on the radio, counseling over the airwaves, but they were doing a counseling ministry over the airways, and this woman called in, and she t- started to lay out all of her problems to them on the air. And, um, and I, I was listening to it and thinking, this is amazing. This is, a lot, this is a lot of worms to come out of a can over the air that you've got to get back into that can uh, as counselors. And... Uh, she, uh, she then explained to them after she had told them their problem that she had gone uh, to her pastor to discuss it with him. And one of the counselors cut in immediately and said, what did he tell you? Take two verses and see me in the morning? That infuriated me. It infuriates me today. Because it gave the impression that the Word of God is not a living thing and that God does not stand behind His Word that they're just words on a page that are just kind of feel-good material. But the fact of the matter is, is that every single verse and every single passage in the Word of God, that it is from God and He stands behind every single promise and every single passage. And it is because it is a living book from God that it is able to supernaturally revive us and to strengthen us when nothing else in life will. When circumstances finally hit that place and circumstances have a way of finally hitting that place sooner or later for most people in life. Never ever view the Word of God as something that God has given independent of himself. He has given his word because he fully intends to and will stand behind every promise that he gives. And that's why the word of God is able to revive and it is able to strengthen. It's a living book by the Holy Spirit. We don't make it alive. It's alive all by itself. Let me read a familiar passage to you before we close up here in my part of the service this evening. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. I love these familiar passages in the Bible. I wish every time I read them, I could read them for the first time and have have the the impact that it had upon me the first time. But now I'm forgetting so much that just about every passage I read in the Bible is like I've read it for the first time. God said through Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, that it hits you fresh. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it grow, for, bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. 
so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And when the child of God sits down to read the Word of God, you can feel the spiritual strength that's infused into our spirit. It really revives us spiritually. No person is the same person in their inner man, their spiritual man. No Christian is after having read the Word of God that they were before they read the Word of God. And sometimes, you know, you hit these situations where it's like you're just numb. You ever pick the Bible up for your devotional time in the morning and who knows what bomb has gone off as it relates to our life? And yesterday you picked up the Bible and you read it through with full concentration and you noticed every word and the whole thought progression of what God is saying in the passage and the whole thing and meditated on it. Today you pick up the Bible and you start to read it and you and your eyes have gone over the words and over the words and you've read six chapters and you don't even remember the first verse that you read. You're just numb with what's going on. But God will not allow His Word to return void. Yes, there's a place sometimes to then say, I haven't gotten much out of this in my mind, so I'm going to go back and reread what was going on. But to realize that even when we're in that place, God is ministering to our spirit, and He's strengthening our spirit, and He is reviving our inner man. And so when you get to that kind of a place and you pick up the Word of God and you start to go into the Word of God and as best as you know how, you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you start to read the Word of God because you know this is where strength and this is where revival is going to come from in my life. But you don't feel that anything happened. You're too numb. The problem's too big. This didn't work. It didn't do anything in my life. Don't believe it. It has done something in your spirit, and it's done something good, and God makes sure that it does that. Remember, Popeye would have his spinach. The Word of God is that can of spinach to us in a time where we need strength and we need revival, and it will always accomplish that in our lives. And so we'll stop tonight as we are looking at these Beautiful things. I don't know how many we got through tonight. Um, not that many. But uh, I enjoyed myself. And, um, but, but just looking at here, just scratching the surface in terms of look at what the Word of God does in our life. And the beautiful thing is we sit in a room like this tonight. If we've given the Word of God that kind of a place in our lives, we recognize every single bit of it. That what was the psalmist's experience 3,000 years ago has been our experience as well. If the worship team would come forward, I'd like to take some time to spend just worshiping the Lord this evening as we meditate upon what we've been looking at here this evening, and then just to worship the Lord and to give Him praise and thanks because He is worthy of it. And because